Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, March the 30th, 2022. It is currently 3.27 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, it is Wednesday, so that means at 7 p.m., I'll be broadcasting live from Victory Baptist Church for our in-person worship service this evening. I hope you will tune into that. That will be live streamed as well. You can listen to all of our live streams via the Spreaker app. That's an easy way to do so, or maybe even an easier way is simply go to your app store of choice, whether Android, for Android, the Google Play Store, or the Apple App Store, and just do a search for Church One. That's the word church and the word one, church, O-N-E, all run together. Download the app. You will have to search for Theology Central because Church One is kind of a generic app. You put in uh, Theology Central, then you select us as your as your preferred broadcaster. Make sure all of the notifications are turned on within the app, and there you go. You can you have all of our content. You get notifications when we go live. You get notifications when we send out notices. You get everything all in one app. Basically, it's the it becomes the Theology Central app. So uh, definitely consider downloading that, and uh, well, you can listen to us live this evening, and all of the other broadcasts that we do between now and seven, well, just think about it this way. It's Wednesday, so there will be different live broadcasts occurring between now and 8 p.m. tonight. That, that, that's how it's going to work. There's going to, I don't know how many I'm going to do before I leave for the church, but even if it's just one, you get this one, and then obviously you'll have the one at 7 p.m., but download the Church One app, I think I still think that that's the easiest way to keep up with everything. The Spreaker app, if you want to use Spreaker, that's wonderful as well. And there's some benefits from using that. If you need any help getting any of our apps or any of our content, we're, we're literally everywhere. All you have to do is email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, now, are you ready? I'm going to give I'm going to ask you a very important question to start with and then after I ask you a question I'm going to give you a very important theological principle a very important theological concept and then we're going to get to a very very interesting story that's going to have everything to do with the question I'm going to ask you and in my opinion has everything to do with the theological uh, you know concept the theological principle that I'm about to give you as well so first let's get to the question are you ready thinking caps on all right thinking caps on here we go how free are you to obey God How free are you to obey God? Now, I'm not speaking of a freedom like as far as government is concerned or what country you're in. I'm talking about how free are you inside of yourself to obey God? Do you believe you have the complete freedom? And with that freedom means ability to obey God completely. How free are you to obey God? Is there anything inside of you that takes away your freedom to obey God, that would keep you from obeying God, or have all barriers, anything that would stop you, has it been completely removed? That's a very important question. Second, the theological concept, the theological principle. Imputed righteousness versus infused righteousness. One of the big battles coming from basically emerging from the Protestant Reformation was this idea that within Catholicism, they taught that you are infused with righteousness, that God's righteousness is infused, placed inside of you, therefore making you righteous, and then you cooperate with that righteousness throughout your spiritual life, being strengthened by the means of grace through the sacramental system, 
and you cooperate with that grace, you cooperate with that righteousness that was imputed, that was infused into you, right? So you have an infused righteousness, you work with it, you cooperate with it, Now, and, and you, you need the church, you need the sacraments, and then obviously if you commit a mortal sin, then you're no longer in a state of grace, and then if you commit a venial sin, it weakens that, that, that grace and that righteousness, and then you work and work, and then maybe you'll have to go to purgatory, uh, most likely you'll have to go to purgatory, um, until all of your sin is purged, then finally you get in a into heaven. That was the Catholic system, an infused righteousness. You receive an infusion of righteousness. The Protestant reformers rejected the infused righteous concept, and they taught an imputed righteousness. Now, an imputed righteousness is where God declares you, accounts, gives to your account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not infused inside of you, it's just declared to your account. You are a, you are declared to be righteous, even though you're not practically righteous. You're declared to be holy, even though you're not practically holy. You're not made righteous, righteous in the sense of practice or in, 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 in a practical way. You're declared to be righteous. An alien righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ, is imputed or accredited to your account. So you're standing before God. Well, it's perfect. You're perfectly holy. You're perfectly righteous. You're perfectly obedient. That is an, that is an imputed righteousness versus an infused righteousness. This is a very important distinction that really divides the Protestant world from the Catholic world. Now, so many times when people start uh, talking about Catholicism, they want to, you know, they, they want to talk about Mary. They want to talk about the liturgy. They want to talk about all these other things. But this is really the theological divide that is so very important. And in many ways, I believe many Protestants who in theory say they believe that we are saved by an imputed righteousness end up arguing like three seconds later for almost an, a, a concept of an infused righteousness. Even though they may not use those words, that's exactly what happened. Oh, no, I'm saved by an imputed righteousness. And then immediately start talking about, but I have to do this, 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 and this, or I prove I was never saved. Well, wait a minute. So you're talking that you can prove the existence of an imputed righteousness by the practice of righteousness? How can practice the practice of righteousness prove an imputed righteousness because an imputed righteousness doesn't make you righteous. It declares you to be righteous. It's, it's just accredited to your account. But people want to, so, so many people look to prove the, 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 the fact that an imputed righteousness has been accredited to someone's count, account based on what they do or don't do, which seems to completely obliterate the whole imputed righteousness concept. There's, and this, this shows itself in so many ways within the evangelical Protestant world. And we've talked about it a number of times. But I, I just want you to get the question, how free are you to obey God? And then I want you to, to completely understand the concept uh, and the differences between imputed and infused. Imputed versus infused, all right? The infused idea is the Catholic idea, the imputed idea, I believe, is the biblical idea. We are declared righteous by faith. We're not made righteous in a practical sense. We are declared to be righteous. Oh, does everyone understand that? I, I'm saying that like I'm looking at a bunch of people. I always do that. But I hope you get it. Now, with all of that in mind, today, I saw an article I do not know when it was, well, I think it was originally published on March the 21st. I don't even remember how I came across this article, but as soon as I saw the article, I saved it to my notes and my iPad, and I'm like, as soon as I can get to the microphone, we're going to talk about this. Are you ready? Here is the title of the article. You can obey. You, right there, Who, whoever I'm talking to, you can obey. Now, what, what is this referencing? You can obey. I can obey. What, what can we obey? Let's see what the article has to say. Here we go. Are you ready? I wonder whether sometimes we give up on holiness before we even get started. 
We know that we are sinful. We know that this side of glory, we will not be sinlessly perfect. We believe in the doctrine of total depravity. All stacked together, we can give up before we even get going. Now, let's start with this paragraph. Obviously, they feel like that some people just give up in the pursuit of practical godliness or practical holiness before they even started. And the reason why is because we know we're sinful. We know that on this side of glory, we will never be sinlessly perfect. So, so they even acknowledge that we will never be perfect. Please note, first paragraph, really almost within, the, I think, the second, but what, the second sentence here, they acknowledge that we will never be perfect. They, they acknowledge the doctrine of total depravity. And so you stack all of that together, they feel some people then just give up. They don't really, they, they just give up pursuing holiness because obviously it, it, they feel like it's never going to happen. But I want you to, to once again here, they acknowledge in the very, like second sentence, that on this side of glory, we're never going to be sinlessly perfect. They acknowledge that. Now watch what happens here. We think the Father that he sent Jesus to die for us. We are grateful that Jesus lived the perfect sinless life that we couldn't. We trust in the atoning work on our behalf. We know that we are given the righteousness of Christ and rely rely upon that to see us made right with God. Now, stop right here. When it says we're given the righteousness, I'm assuming that what they mean there is that that we it has been imputed to us. It's been accredited to us, right? Because I, I've got to really drive that distinction in. Because if I'm if it's simply an imputed righteousness, I am not I'm not changed by that. I am just I'm not changed in practice. I'm changed in my position, right? I'm just declared to be righteous, but in reality, inside, I'm still unrighteous. I'm still a sinner. So when they say we've been given the righteousness of Christ, okay, what exactly do they mean? But they go on to say, we've been given the righteousness of Christ and rely upon that to see us made right with God. Okay, hopefully we're relying on that. So that's clearly an imputed righteousness they have to be referring to there. We believe all of this and know our salvation is secure because of it. So based on the way that that paragraph ends, it seems to be clear that they're referring to we are given an imputed righteousness or an impu- righteousness has been imputed to our account. And because of this, our standing before God is secure and we're right before God. And that clearly is referring to our positional standing. So far, so good. Third paragraph. Next words. But stop right there. Now, We know, and I talk about this all the time in church, as soon as you're reading something and they throw in the word, but for all practical purposes, it negates everything that comes before it. Hey, a lot of people just kind of give up on righteousness because they believe in total depravity and they know that we can never be perfect and, 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 you know, and they understand that our salvation is based off a righteousness that's been given to us or imputed to us. That seems to be the implication. But so immediately they just kind of negate all of that. Now, what are they going to say after they, in a sense, negate everything? But we just don't think we can obey. Right. So here's here's all of these things they lay out as almost dogmatic truths. But we think we think that we just can't obey. So they say we have all of this teaching, but we just don't think we can obey. Now, let's stop right here. Is the problem. Is the, is the problem the fact that you just don't think you can obey? That's why I asked you the question at the beginning, how free are you to obey? Is the issue is just a lot of Christians, are because of all of this teaching and understanding of, of total depravity, imputed righteousness, have we just reached a point where we're like, you know what, I just can't obey. I, it's just because we think that we cannot. And so all we need to do is correct our thinking. Let's see where they're going here. But we just don't think we can obey. We are sinful, we think. Our old sinful nature remains with us. We think Jesus that he came, died for us, and transferred his perfect life to our account. 
All right, there's imputed righteousness. And then we can think, and then we can think that we won't be perfect unto glory. So we kind of give up trying. Sinners gonna sin. So they say that what happens, because we believe all of these doctrinal concepts, that we just reach an area where we just like, well, you know what? Sinners gonna sin. That's what we do. That's just what we do. There's no point. We just give up. Let's see where they, where they go with this. But, now they throw in another but, but the fact is we can obey. All right, now they just make a dogmatic assertion here. We can obey. So in other words, there's no, stop thinking that you can't because you can. And it seems to infer, it seems to imply that you are absolutely free to obey, that there is nothing preventing you from obeying God. You have absolutely have the ability to do so. Now, remember the first paragraph seemed to acknowledge that no one's going to be sinless this side of glory. Now, wait a minute. Is that true? Because if no one is going to be sinless on this side of glory, then you can't tell everyone, but you can obey because clearly there would be a limit to how much you can obey because you've already acknowledged that no one can be perfect. So when you say we can obey, you, clearly they have to mean that, well, you're, you can up to a point. So that means you're not completely free to obey. So you can't just look at everyone and say, we can obey because you've already acknowledged that we cannot do that perfectly. So then we're not completely free to obey. This is the weird world of Christianity at times where it's like, okay, I, I'm trying to follow. You said that no one can be perfect. Now you're telling me we can obey. So which is it? Because if I can't be perfect, then clearly I can't obey perfectly. So there's a limit to my ability to obey. So I'm not completely free to obey. So can you clarify your position? Let's see if they clarify their position here. All right, here we go. But the fact is, please note how dogmatic it is. But the fact is, we can obey. Yes, when we were outside of Christ, our hearts could, o could only incline towards sin. But being made alive by the Spirit means that we are capable of obedience. Now stop right here. How capable are you of obedience. How capable are you of obedience? Now, I'm not here trying to just play the devil's advocate. I'm not here trying to play some kind of, ooh, gotcha game. These are real questions. And, and the reason these kinds of questions are so important is because I think this leads to so much discouragement and disillusionment with Christianity. On one hand, you're told you are a sinner, okay, and then you become a Christian, and then you're told now that you're a Christian, you're free to obey. Now you, as their words are, you're capable of obedience. You can do it, all right? Well, then you start trying to live out the Christian life. You're like, well, I sin, and I sin, and I sin, and I sin. I sin in thought. I sin in word. I sin in deed. I, I sin in the things I do, and I sin in the things I don't do. I, I, I'm constantly sinning. But you're capable. You're capable. You, you don't have to. You're free. You're, as your, their words are, you can obey. Well, can I or can't I? You will hear Christians say, hey, now that you're a Christian, you're in Christ. You're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So, so the sinful nature is gone? Well, no, the sinful nature is not gone. You just said everything became new. Is that true positionally or practically? People pre preach that like it's a practical truth. I repeat this all the time because it has to be repeated because articles constantly swim around the world of Christianity, just like the one we're reading, where they say it's a fact. You can obey, where they say that you are capable of obedience. But they've already acknowledged that you can't be perfect. So you can't say it's a fact that I can obey because you've already acknowledged that there's a limit to that fact. You could say that it's a fact that you can obey in part. You can say that it, we are capable of a limited obedience. That's how you would have to preach it. Christianity sells one thing and delivers something completely different. 
Let me say that again. In many cases, Christianity, when I say Christianity, I'm talking about the church, preachers, Christian podcasts, Christian publications. They sell a Christianity that is never actually delivered. Hey, this is what you get if you become a Christian. And then when you become a Christian, you never receive what was promised. Because this seeming to imply that, hey, if you become a Christian, you can just stop sinning. You can just stop sinning because now you're you obey. Now you're capable of it. Let's see where, where, where they go with this. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this again. But the fact is we can't obey. Yes, when we were outside of Christ, our hearts could only incline towards sin. But being made alive by the Spirit means that we are capable of obedience. God does not ask us to do what we cannot do. Whoa. God does not ask us to do what we cannot do? 2,000 years of Christian history. The Bible has never changed its call that be ye holy as I am holy. We are called to be as holy as God is holy. And you're telling me that we are capable and that we can do that? That's the most ridiculous. Ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. No, that that commandment tells us that in myself, I, I will never be as holy as God is holy. I fall short of that command Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I, I fall short of that command every month, every year. I sin all the time. I'll never be as holy as God is holy. I will never be as, as holy as God is holy. Now, this is important. Not in my practice, but I am as holy as God is holy in the fact that the holiness of Christ has been imputed to my account. So in my position, I do obey that. In practice, I do not. I don't know how people cannot figure this out. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Over and over in the Sermon on the Mount, anyone who reads the Sermon on the Mount and is open and honest with themselves, you fall short of that all the time. You would be condemned. But Christ who preached the sermon, also obeyed the sermon, and his passive and active obedience is imputed to me in an imputed righteousness. So even though the first paragraph, they seem to acknowledge, hey, you can't do it perfectly, then they come they come in in which paragraph? We see, that's one, two, three. And paragraph number four, they come in and double down. That No, you can do it. Let me read it again. Here we go. First, they, I'm just going to break this paragraph down. They, first thing they say, it's a fact. You can obey. Yes, when we were outside of Christ, our hearts could only incline towards sin. But being made alive by the Spirit means that you are capable of obedience. So number one, you can obey. Number two, you are capable of obedience. Number three, God will not ask you to do what you cannot do. He calls us to obey and has given us the means to do so. He has given us his word, which guides us and what we ought to do, that we know God's will. And he has placed his spirit who empowers us to do it. Now, this is common teaching in the evangelical world that now you have the Holy Spirit and he gives you the power to obey God's word. Now, now wait a minute. All right. So you can and you've been empowered too. That's, that's a simple teaching here. I'm summarizing. You, you can, you're capable, right? God doesn't ask you to do anything you cannot do. And he's, he's giving you the means to do so. He's giving, you're capable and he's giving you the power to do so. Now, just think, 2,000 years of church history. We have the power of God to obey his word. That would clearly imply that then there should be lots, hundreds, thousands, millions of sinless Christians because you're capable of obeying and you're empowered by the Spirit of God inside of you to obey. There should be sinless Christians. And you look at church history, there's not sinless Christians. Look in the mirror. You don't even need to look in church history. Now, you can, you can try to pretend you can fake it, you can lie, you can deny, but if you know in your heart that you don't have a pure heart, 
You know in your heart that you don't love the Lord, the, you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, body, mind, and soul. You know you don't love your neighbor as yourself. You know that in your heart there is covetousness and idolatry and greed and lust, and it shows up over in selfishness. And we could go on and on and, and bitterness. We can go on and on and on. There's so many issues inside of you, and let me make it very clear inside of the one sitting on this side of the microphone. We have the power. You have the power. You have the power. You have the capability of obeying God. Oh, that preach is good. And everyone will say amen. They say amen and then walk out of the building or stop listening to the podcast and then go out and sin. And does anyone ever stop and go, well, wait a minute. You keep telling me I can. I keep falling on my face. Something is wrong. So either, what is your conclusion? Well, either something's wrong with me so you start doubting your salvation, and look what happens. You're doubting your salvation, not because you've lost the imputed righteousness, because now you don't believe the imputed righteousness is sufficient to save you. You believe you need a, a level of practical righteousness in order to be saved, which means you've just thrown out salvation by an imputed righteousness, and now you're looking to be saved by a practical righteousness, which is a works-based religion. You're now literally turning on the gospel of grace. And this happens such a subtle way. Well, I don't know if I'm saved because I did A, B, C, D. Did A, B, C, D mess up God's imputed righteousness that you receive by faith? Well, no. Well, no, but if I don't do this and this and this, I wasn't saved. So how can that practical righteousness prove that the imputed righteousness exists? Because now you're speaking of an infused righteousness, which you have to cooperate with. And what you're claiming is you've been infused with enough righteousness that it will manifest itself in practice. You're literally going back to Roman Catholicism. But what, just know what happens here. This is just crazy how, how schizophrenic this is. All right. So you can obey and you have the, you have the Holy Spirit to empower you to do it. And then look at the, look at the very next paragraph. Will we obey Jesus perfectly in glory? Yes. But this side of heaven, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So now they're just saying it's impossible on this side of glory to be perfect. However, the previous paragraph just said, you can do it. You can do it. You're capable. And you've been given the spirit to empower you. So how can I go from capable, the spirit of God to empower me, to the very next paragraph saying, however, you're not going to be perfect. So that means there's a limit. God's, God's spirit only gives me a, 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 a limited amount of power. Not a complete power, because a complete power would allow me to be sinless. How can Christians look at anyone in the face and say something so radically just schizophrenic and inconsistent and just broken in basic logic? I want all you Christians to know, you can do it. You're capable. God has given you his spirit to give you the power to obey. You can obey. We'll be back in five minutes. Take a little break. Take a little break. Go get it. Go get something to drink. We can play the Jeopardy theme. Okay. Wait five minutes here. We're not going to wait a complete five minutes, but I'm trying to give the illustration. And then you come back up on stage and say, okay, guys, okay, guys. In our last session, I told you about how capable you are, how the power of God that you can obey. Now, what I want to do in this session is explain to you why that power and that capability doesn't mean that you can be sinless. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Like what kind of, like anybody going, wait, I'm paying for this conference? Like what, what, what? I want my money back. This person's insane. Or you would be looking around going, wait, is that the same person who just taught the last session? You're capable. You can. You can do it. Wait, time out, time out, time out. But, 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 just negating everything that comes before. They use the word but in this article a number of times, every time negating what comes before. Where I'm going to negate everything I just said because you can't actually do it perfectly. All right, so, so that means the Spirit of God gives me enough power to, to obey, what, at a 60% rate, a 70% rate, an 80% rate? Like, what, what does that even mean? I'm capable of a... 
60% obedience, a 70% obedience. And you say, well, you're being ridiculous. No, I'm not. This would be a question any smart person would ask because you're confused. You can do it, but you can't really do it. Hey, you're capable. Well, you're not really capable. You have power. Well, not, not, not complete power. So what does this look like? Let's go through this. Let's listen or let's not listen. Let me read the rest of this. So will you obey Jesus perfectly? And glory, yes, but on this out of heaven, no. Our sinful nature is not zapped away when we trust in Christ. All right, so now they're acknowledging the sinful nature remains. Now, this is very important. Remember my question? How free are you? How free are you to obey God if you continue to have a sinful nature and that sinful nature will be with you until you are glorified? That means you are incapable of perfect obedience. That means no matter, even when you do good, that good is going to be tainted from the from the sinful nature that is inside of you. Your thinking is never going to be pure. Your heart's never going to be pure. Therefore, you're never going to be holy as God is holy because you have a sinful nature. Meaning, just think of this. This is one command. Be ye holy as I am holy. That's one commandment. You will never obey that commandment. You are in a perpetual state of disobedience. You are sinning 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to make this very clear. You will always be in a state of sin because you can never be as holy as God is holy. And that is only, listen, that is only one commandment. Christians always talk about, well, look what that person did. And look what that person did. I want you to know, whenever you're pointing a finger, you've been sinning all day long. Whenever you hear this, if you hear this right now, if you hear this late at night, if you hear this in the morning, maybe you just wake up in the morning and you hear this, you're going to sin all day long. And the day before you sinned all day and, and all night because you were never as holy as God is holy. And that is one commandment. Now, remember, they're like, whatever. Now, they've already said that whatever he commands, you can obey. Well, but now they're saying you clearly can't. God tells you, be ye holy as I am holy. You can't obey that. But they've already said that you can. Let me go back and read this again. God does not ask you to do what we cannot do. Well, he calls you to be holy as he is holy. Can you do it? Well, the minute you acknowledge that you still have a sinful nature, you cannot do it (laughs) because you have a sinful nature. God is holy. If If I'm to be as holy as he is holy, that would require no sinful nature. This, this, this article is the most, but the, the reason we're dealing with this is this is such a common teaching within the evangelical Christian church. Someone's got to raise their hand and go, wait, I am so confused. So wait, are we saved by an imputed righteousness or an infused righteousness? And then wait, how free are we? Because on one hand, you're seemingly telling me that I have the ability. God's never going to give me a command that I can't obey and that I've got the spirit to empower me. And then you hedge your bet by saying, but you're not going to do it perfectly. So which is it? I can or can't I? I'm free or I'm not free. They go on to say this. Now listen, will we obey Jesus perfectly? And glory, yes, but on this side of heaven, no. So they acknowledge that we're not going to do it perfectly. Our sinful nature is not zapped away when we trust Christ. So they acknowledge that we still have a sinful nature. But does that mean we cannot obey? No. What? We, what? Wait, wait. You're not going to do it perfectly, but that doesn't mean you can't obey. See, you can't be perfect, but that doesn't mean you can't obey. That me that so what I don't even like if I'm if I was if, if someone was trying to talk to me about this, I would be like, man, your religion is so broken and confused. I don't even know what you're talking. You're 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 a walking contradiction. It's an it's a never-ending logical fallacy. Like I don't I don't understand how Christians don't see this. What kind of craziness are we trying to talk to people about? Hey, you can obey. Per- not not perfectly. But you can't obey. Wait, if I I can't obey perfectly, and so if I can't obey perfectly, then you've got to acknowledge, wait a minute, there's a limit to whatever supposedly I can do, and there's even a limit to what the Holy Spirit will give me power to do. 
And if I'm not, if I can't be perfect, well, then at this point it becomes, a, a, how do you measure how much, how much obedience, it, no, like the whole thing just becomes insanity. They go on to say, we have God's word and God's spirit to guide and empower us today. Once again, we have the, we have power. See, we have a power, I have power, I have power. Okay, well, clearly that power is not good enough to make me perfect. So what are you trying to say? They go on to say this, which means anytime we sin as believers, it is not because we are unable to do what is right. It's because we did not yield to the spirit who dwells within us. So, hey, you have the ability. And and so this is really what it comes down to. Anytime you commit one sin. So I'm going to, I'm just, again, we're going to go to the the commandment. Be ye holy as God is holy. Anytime you don't obey that, which is literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week, well, it's because you simply won't yield to the Spirit. Now, here's my here's my question. Well, wait a minute. If the Spirit is in there to empower me, why wouldn't the Spirit have enough power to change my want to to a desire to yield? Why is it that I have some ability not to? to yield? Why do I have some ability to refuse to yield? Why wouldn't the Holy Spirit so change my want to that I'm constantly in a state of wanting to yield? Where is the idea of not wanting to yield even arising from? Oh, it's arising from my sinful nature. Well, if I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me, isn't the power of the Holy Spirit greater than the sinful nature that resides in me? So why wouldn't the Holy Spirit give me a greater desire to yield versus a greater desire to refuse to yield? This just leads to complete, utter insanity. This just doesn't make any sense. Let's see where where else they go with this. Let's put it this way. How can Almighty God dwell in your heart and not make you holy? How can the Holy Spirit, who's my my favorite job in the... Okay, okay, let me make this clear. How can the Holy... I'm going to read read this exactly as it is written. How can the Holy Spirit, whose most favorite job, okay, I was, I was misreading it, whose most favorite job in all the world is to make people holy, live inside of you and not make you holy? Now, th- now this is a good question. How can, how can God, they're saying the job of the Holy Spirit is to make you holy. How can his job be to make you holy and he not make you holy? Well, to make me holy means I would, look, holy doesn't mean partially righteous, Holy means to be completely other and without sin. So if it's the job of the Holy Spirit to make me holy, well, he never completes the job because we're always unholy. <laughs> like, like, just think about what you're saying. Um, how can Almighty God dwell in your heart and make you his temple and not empower to some sort of obedience to God. Now, now please note how they, they've, they've subtly backtracked a little bit. You can do it. Now, the Holy Spirit will just give you empowerment to some sort of obedience. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. You said I can obey. Now you're saying the Holy Spirit will give me power to meet some sort of obedience. Some sort of obedience. See how they back that down really quick? Of course, that doesn't mean you won't sin anymore, <laughs> but you can't be equally sure. It definitely means, but you can be equally sure. It definitely means you can't obey. Just, please note the contradiction in this sentence. Of course, that doesn't mean you won't sin anymore. So you're going to sin. Even though the, the Holy Spirit's in you, the Holy Spirit's job is to make you holy. The Holy Spirit's giving you power. That's all true. But that doesn't mean you're not going to sin anymore. However, but... Again, canceling out what just came before. You can be equally sure it definitely means you can obey. You can obey. Well, if I can, but that doesn't mean I can be perfect, then there clearly means that can has a clear can't connected with it. I cannot be perfect. So you can't say I can obey without adding the qualifier. You can kind of obey. And what 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 level of obedience must be present here? Last paragraph. <laughs> oh man. 
We can be tempted to lose heart before we begin. We're sinners who cannot perfectly obey Jesus. So now we're back to, you can't do it perfectly. Hey, you can. See, the previous sentence means, the, the last sentence said, you, you can be equally sure it means you can obey. You can definitely obey. That's the previous sentence. Then it jumps to the next paragraph and says, we can be tempted, tempted to lose heart because we're sinners who cannot perfectly obey Jesus. The previous sentence says you can definitely obey. And then the very next sentence says, but you can't do it perfectly. Like it's this constant, like say one thing, say the opposite thing. Say one thing, say the opposite thing. I I want you to just realize from a Christian perspective, you, you are so used to this language that you don't even see the contradiction. You don't even see the inconsistency. But let me tell you, you go, you go share this information with anyone who's lost, and they're going to be looking at you like, you're not making any sense. You don't hear yourself contradicting yourself? And like, no, no. When we can't hear our own contradictions, we're in trouble. So we're sinners who cannot perfectly obey Jesus. Well, that much is true. But once again, this article is filled with but, 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 because it's constantly canceling out what was just said. So, hey, we cannot perfectly obey Jesus. That is true. But we're also holy people empowered to works of service by the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That much is true, too. Jesus doesn't ask us to do what we cannot do. Rather, he asks us to do things for him, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, empowers us to do them himself, to to do them himself. And then the last sentence, all of that is to say, you can obey. Jesus made sure of it. You can. Jesus made sure of it. That sounds like an infused righteousness. That sounds like Roman Catholicism all day. And I, that, that's for, I found that on a Protestant website. That I don't uh, I don't remember how I stumbled upon it, but I was on I wasn't on a Catholic website. That let me try to break this down with you. Here, here's what I know. The Bible is filled with commands. They're filled. The Bible's filled with laws. With thou shall thou, thou shall thou shall not do this. Don't do that. Oh, I mean, there's just hundreds and hundreds of them. Don't do this. Don't do this. This is wrong. This is condemned. And let me make it very clear. Every one of those commandments, they are there to point out one very hurtful, painful reality, that you are a sinner and you fall short of those commandments and those standards all the time, whether in thought, whether in word, whether in deed, whether in attitude, you fall short continually. And all of those commandments and all of those laws should make you do one thing. Woe is me. I am undone. I am a sinner. I am not worthy. I am a sinner. I am not worthy. I am a sinner. And it should make you fall on your face and not just run to the cross, but crawl on your hands and knees to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, I need your forgiveness and I need your righteousness. You were holy, you obeyed, you did what I cannot do. You did for me what I cannot do. You you command what I cannot do. But what you commanded, you did. So I place my faith in you to receive forgiveness and to have your perfect righteousness imputed to me. I am saved based off that imputed righteousness. That means my standing before God is eternally secure. I am perfect and complete in the finished work of Jesus Christ, period. Now, from that position, that positional standing, I am called in practice to try to live out the truth of that positional standing. The Christian life is the never-ending, impossible task of trying to live out practically what is true positionally. I am called to be righteous. I am called to be holy. I should not just simply give up, but I must. I have to know that I cannot do it. I will never be perfectly obedient. 
I will always sin, and that's why I have to constantly rely on the imputed righteousness. Practically, I will always fall short. Practically, I will always fall on my face. I sin continually because I can never be holy as God is holy. I will never love the way God tells me to love. I'll never be as holy as he tells me to be holy. I will not have a pure heart like he tells me to have. I'm never going to do any of the things that I'm called to do perfectly. Now, I strive, and I'm to try to mortify the flesh and fight against it, but I'm simply trying. Again, the Christian life is the the never-ending, impossible task of trying to live out practically what is true positionally. Now, my positional standing is all because of grace, and I should be so overwhelmed by God's grace and by the righteousness he has given to me, by his grace and mercy, that I should be motivated because of grace, because of the mercies of God, to try to now live out in an end perfect way where there's going to be stumbling and failure. Any supposed power I have from the Holy Spirit, I will simply say this, whatever the Spirit is doing in me and through me, I know he's there to produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. He's there to help produce that, but make it very clear, whatever he's doing in me, there's no hint at all that it's going to give me the power to do everything God calls me to do, because if that was the case, we would have 2,000 years of Christians being nearly perfect. And we don't have that. Christians are hateful, judgmental, bigoted, ungodly. There's sexual sin. There's, there's, there's sins of attitude, sins of the flesh, sins of the spirit. I mean, there's just, it's all over the place. But this is another article saying, you can do it. You can do it. No, he did it. Let me make it very clear. You can't. He did. The Bible is filled with him commanding you to do what you cannot do. The whole point of the Bible is to bring you to an end of yourself where you know you cannot. The Bible's never about he gives you the ability. No, he he is there to save you because of your inability. And he's not there to save you from your inability. He's to save you in within your inability. You still remain unable to do what God calls you to do. Your salvation is based off his finished work, not your ability to try to somehow uh, do it because you'll never do it perfectly. He did it. It's not based on what I do. It's based on what he did. That's the whole point of the gospel of grace and mercy. It's, it's so, it's like, I look, I understand that articles like this, I mean, Pelagius did the same thing. If we go back to the Augustinian Pelagian debate, Pelagius felt that Christianity had become this ungodly, weak Christianity where everyone made an excuse because everyone said, well, we're a sinner and we just going to keep sinning. So Pelagius came along, no, 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 I throw, I reject total depravity. You do not have a sinful nature. You, you, you did not inherit a sinful nature from Adam. You are completely free and you can obey God. And Pelagius would have argued that you, there could be perfect people, that there could be sinless people because you don't have to sin. You don't have a sinful nature. Well, okay, Pelagius was a heretic. Pelagianism is a heresy. But somehow it's so infiltrated even the minds of many Christians today on one hand that will turn around and say, well, I believe in total depravity. I, I believe you can't be perfect. However, you can, you can, you can, you can obey every command God gives you because he wouldn't give you, he wouldn't command you to do something you can't do. That is completely not, that, that is a, almost a Pelagian idea. That is not the Augustinian biblical view of total depravity. I'm just going to stop right there. I, I just wanted you to hear the article. It, it's just absolutely crazy. It's called, um, I don't know what, this. the one site that I found this is a blog uh, called Building Jerusalem Among These Dark Satanic Mills. I don't even know what in the world all of this is about, but it's a St- a Stephen, K-N-E-A-L-E, Stephen, K-N-E-A-L-E, you can obey, and does, does this blog give us any indication of their theology? See here. Uh, they go to, uh, he's the pastor of Oldham Bethel Church. 
and I'm, I'm guessing in Manchester, I guess in the UK. Um, okay, his, his theological convictions are modern reformed evangelical. Modern reformed evangelical. A modern reformed evangelical who in me is completely denying the imputed righteousness and almost is speaking of an infused righteousness and you can do it. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't do it. I'm sorry. And well, he even acknowledges you can't. You can't be perfect, but you can obey. You can obey, but you can't obey perfectly. It, it just, but he will, God will never give you a command which you can't obey. That's just ridiculous. Be holy as he is holy. You can't do it. End of story. Not practically. You can do it positionally because Christ gives you the perfect righteousness. All right. I'm sure this will spark some interesting conversation. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right, sounds good. All right, we'll stop right there. Can't wait to hear from, uh, everyone's thoughts on this. I know we'll get some radically different opinions. Here's what I will just say, because I'm going to get all kinds of crazy people probably emailing me and, and attacking me on, on YouTube and wherever. Here's what I'm saying. If you believe that you can do it and that you can obey it, then just just go live a perfect life and don't argue with those of us who believe that you can. I mean, just go prove it. Just you be perfect. Now, I think typically what you'll have to do is you'll have to really start messing around with God's standards to convince yourself or find a way to convince yourself that you're doing it. But any reasonable, open, honest person before the word of God, you're going to be convicted every day that you fall short. And you're going to have to ask yourself, well, if I can, why am I constantly in a perpetual state of unrighteousness. And if you think that you are as holy as God, there really is no point in emailing me because I think you probably should seek some professional help. And I'm not saying that in a, in a sarcastic or condescending manner, because to think that you're as holy as God in a practical way, yeah, that's that's getting downright frightening in my, in my, in my estimation. And that is a command. Be holy as I am holy. And I look at the command and I'm like, I'm not Christ is, and Christ, I am holy. That's the only hope I have of obeying that in my position, not in my practice. All right, stop right there. Everyone have a great day. We'll be, we'll, we'll be back on the air at some point. God bless.